0: Here this morning, and if you uh, are visiting with us, or first time here, or you haven't been here in a little while, we are in a series called Happy New Year, Uh, and we've You know, a couple of weeks ago when the new year started, everybody's wishing each other a happy new year. And we thought, you know, that's really great to wish someone a happy new year. But if we don't actually give them any kind of tools to help equip them or teach them on how to have a happier new year, you kind of end up having like the same kind of, you know, year as last year possibly. You you just never know how it's going to go. And so we talked about this idea of happiness for a number of weeks. And we're just kind of winding down the series over this week and next. Uh, And so in the first part of the series, we talked about the what. The what happiness is, and we realize that there's no thing that's actually going to make you happy, ever, nothing. It's not that iPhone, it's not that car, it's not that house, there is absolutely no thing you could purchase, um, or that you could win, or whatever, that's going to actually make you ultimately happy. It fades. We also learned that peace, If you, you could have all kinds of stuff, but if you don't have peace with others, if you don't have peace with yourself, and if you don't have peace with God that happiness is going to be short-lived. You see rich, you know, people with all kinds on any spectrum of the, of the financial scale that uh, they have it all, but they're unhappy. And peace is oftentimes one of the reasons why. Last week we talked about how you can have true happiness. And we said, you know, the world and, and our friends around us would be like, you want to be happy, just go for it. You just go do whatever makes you happy and it'll work. And we realized it doesn't work. So we learned last week that instead of going for it, you have to So for it. Yes, some of you remember. I've got to say that as many times as possible so that no matter what, you'll remember it. But to sow for it, because it's like sowing seeds that grow and uh, reap a harvest in your, in your life later on. I just have to say, I am super proud of a number of you that decided last week that you were going to start sowing for happiness in your life. A number of you have signed up for, for the uh, reading through the Bible plans and just saying, I'm going to put his word into my heart. I'm just going to do it this time. Maybe I'm not going to get it every day, but I'm going to do more than I did before. Some of you joined small groups this week and said, I'm just going to get around people who are going to help encourage me in my walk with the Lord. I'm going to start sowing. Maybe it feels awkward but I don't care. I'm going to start sowing for happiness in my life. Super proud of you guys. Last night, there was a few that came here and uh, uh, started just, they were downloading the app right here after church, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. So we've talked about the how, and we've talked about, um, you know, the what, uh, and today I want to talk about the why. I want to talk about the why. Why do we so often make decisions that are going to make us, that we think will make us happy and then lead to just incredible unhappiness in our lives? Because I don't know about you, but even after last week saying, hey, now I know how to find true happiness in my life. i got to sow for it. That didn't all of a sudden erase all of the temptations to go for it. There's times and things that you came across this week. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to go do that. Yeah, I'm going to say that. And why is it that we still, even though we know, why is it that we still would go for something that would make us incredibly unhappy? Part of this series is based on a series by Andy Stanley also, and I would encourage you to go and listen to that. There's a number of things we're not covering that are in there that would also uh, just be a great benefit to you as well. So today, I just want to do three things. Today, I want to tell you a story. Then I want to talk or just share with you a little bit about what Jesus said. And then I want to challenge you to do something challenging. So it's just going to tell you a story. Talk a little bit about what Jesus said, and then I want to challenge you to do something challenging. So let's get right into that today. I wasn't sure if I could show this or share this, but there's a movie that used to be out called Dumb and Dumber. It's like 20 years old, and uh, I don't know if you've seen it, don't admit it, but there's this part in the movie, and maybe you've seen it. It's this part where Lloyd comes home after he just totally disrespects an elderly lady out on the street, and you know, I guess there is purposes for old people, he says to her, and then she robs him. Uh, She steals his stuff while he leaves it sitting there, and he comes home, he comes through the door, and it's this quote from the movie: "They says I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart, and this part I didn't even see it coming." Everybody watching the movie knows what's going to happen, but Lloyd has no idea. And my question for you is: Have you ever been in a place where you something happened to you, and you're like, "I did not see that coming"? Maybe it was good, maybe it wasn't. Uh, a couple years ago, um, uh, where I came just to check up on the youth here. As they were uh, hanging out here It was summer, and and there was a whole bunch of them hanging out on the uh, on the uh, front entrance here. And maybe it was some of you. I've long forgiven you, so I don't remember your faces. But uh, the, the, I was there, and as I walked across the parking lot, all of a sudden I hear somebody call my name. So as they said, Mark, and I look, and as soon as I looked, bam! A soccer ball hit me right in the face. And one of them on the patio on the thing was like, "Ah, I got him!" And I was like, ah. "I'm like, wow! I did not see that coming." Normally it's like Mark's like, "Hey," and I got a bloody nose and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, man, I didn't see it coming. But they all did. You know, maybe this morning, that's my question. Have you ever had something happen to you? You're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But have you ever been the person on the other side where you saw something about to happen to somebody, they didn't see it coming, but you did? I found some pictures of people who were completely unaware of the danger that's about to happen in their lives. You know, we can see it coming, but this guy didn't. And neither did this guy. But the other photographer saw what was about to happen. And and, and then this one. Probably the worst. Never start a chainsaw like this. And all the men. Ouch. You see it happening, but for some reason, they don't see it coming. And so I, I want to share a story because there's, there's some interesting things. If, if, it, it, back um, in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a document that's about 2,500 years old. It's been uh, preserved and translated into our language, so we have the chance to even read it uh, in our own language. And it's, it's the book of Daniel. And for those of you who study Daniel, Daniel's a really cool book. It's a really difficult read in some parts because the first part is mostly historical, tells a bunch of stories, and the second part's about prophecy, about, you know, stuff that's going to happen later on in life. And so as you read through that, but as a kid, Daniel, the book of Daniel's famous for two real, two, um, two real big stories. One is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's the three guys in the fiery furnace. You're right. So some of you went to kid Sunday school, and you're like, uh, what is, oh, I don't even want to know. All right, so three guys in the fiery furnace is like this story as a kid. You're like, yeah, three guys. They threw three guys into a burning furnace, huge one, and they came out alive. True story. And then there's this other story that's really famous in the book of Daniel, and it's actually about Daniel. It's Daniel in the lion's den, right? Because you, you, you've seen that one. So these these two big stories. And then there's this other story that I want to share today that's found right in between them. And it's in Daniel chapter 5. I'd encourage you to go home and, and read through Daniel 5. It's, just, it's, it's an incredible thing. We just don't have time to read the whole thing this morning. I just want to kind of paraphrase what happened there. There was a, a king called Nebuchadnezzar who was the king of Babylon. And he was super proud about you know, the fact that he thought he was God. And, and then God said, yeah, I got other ideas about that. You're not God. And, and uh, you know, if you, don't, if you just allow your pride to lead your life, it's, it's going to ruin you. And he's like, I will do that. And it did ruin him. He ended up kind of losing his mind and he was wandering around in the fields like an animal. And then there's this amazing story how God restores him. He repents and says, you know what, God, you're God, I'm not. And he sees restoration. Well, There was a young guy around that time called Belshazzar who saw this happen. He watched this happen to this king. He knew these stories about um, King Nebuchadnezzar. And after King Nebuchadnezzar's reign was over, there was nobody really in charge. So everybody just did whatever they wanted. And you know what they did? They decided, let's push the envelope as far as we can to have as much fun as we can. And anything goes. So it says, you know, even the the Greek um, historians, they write about this time and they're like, it was just full of excessive drinking and debauchery. And we're like, debauchery? What's debauchery? Deba- we don't really say that, you know. Last, you don't know, like, hey, yeah, last night I went out and I got debauched. You know, no, nobody says that. But basically the idea is that it's the excessive amount of sensual pleasure. Whatever you can do, it's like, I'm going to do that to the max. And he says, this is kind of how everybody was. And then in this time frame, Belshazzar, he becomes the king. And so he's the king of this, of this group of people that all they do is just like, let's just push the envelope. Let's smoke anything, drink anything, sleep with anything. Let's just do whatever. And so he becomes the king, and he's just like them. So it's in Daniel chapter 5, it talks about how he has this massive party. And so, you know, you've been to some parties, and maybe you've been to like the cool party, think about your member, or whatever it was. This was the party to top all parties. This guy invites a 1,000 people over to his house and tells them to bring their friends. So a thousand people come over to his house. He has all the money because he's the king. He spares no expense. He's, they're, they're drinking away. They're just having a, a, a great old time. But it isn't enough. Because it never is. And so as he's partying and having this, this great big party, they realize, you know what? We're missing something, guys. You know, we got all the prostitutes. We got all the wine. We got everything. But we're missing something. Like, yeah, you know, this party sucks, you know. And he's like, I know what we got to do. He's like, let's go get... The sacred goblets from the temple of Israel, and let's drink out of those goblets instead, because that'll be even cooler. And so they're like, Yeah, good idea, man, good idea. So they go, they send their guys, they go and get these, 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 um, these sacred goblets, these glasses that, that were simply meant, God had said, these things are only to be used ever to worship me. That's what they're for. And this was back in Old Testament times. We don't have stuff like that today. Don't worry if you're visiting church. Like, we're not into weird stuff like that. But here's the, here's the thought. He says, yeah, let's go do this. And so they go and they start drinking out of these gold goblets and they're like praising the gods of steel and, uh, and, and stone and whatever else. And all of a sudden it was like they crossed the line. All of a sudden, God comes in and he says, you know what? That's it. This this, this has gone too far. And as they're parting away, all of a sudden, a hand just appears out of nowhere. Just the hand, nothing else. And it starts writing on the wall. And the king, it says, he sees it. Belshazzar sees it. And he's terrified. And at first, you think, well, Belshazzar sees a hand. You think, well, he must be way too drunk. That's what, you know, you see stuff. And it's like, as he's writing on the wall... Everybody sees this handwriting on the wall, and all thousand of them are like, "Look at like, what is that?" And it writes this message on the wall that none of them understand. They're like, they, they they recognize the letters, but they don't understand what the words mean, and so they're they're kind of terrified. But they're like, "Oh well, I don't know. Let's let's just keep parting until somebody can figure out what it means." Belshazzar's mom or mother-in-law, I forget which one, she's there, and she's like, hey, I know somebody who can help figure out what that means. His name's Daniel. And uh, so he says, call him, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll explain it to you. So Daniel comes, and he's like, he looks at it, and he's like, yeah, I can tell you what that means. It's just three words, meanil takeel, uh, you first. And he says, those three words, all they simply mean is that God's judging you based on what, the, the way that you've lived your life so far. He says, you've not measured up, and your kingdom is over. And the king said he had promised that there'd be gold and robes to whoever could translate this. And she's like, all right, that's a sucky message. But give him the gold and give him the robes and let's party on. They continue to party and it says that, as even the, it's it's the Greek um, historians that write about it, that they were still madly partying when Darius the Mede and the Persians came in that night, that very night, took over his kingdom and ended his life. And as Daniel's like... We tell the story like, well, what what is that, what's the story all about? The point of the story is this, that Darius, I mean, that uh, Belshazzar's kingdom was already over. He didn't know it, but the writing was already on the wall. The writing on the wall said, your kingdom is over. Unhappiness is coming your way soon, but he wasn't aware of it. And so my question for you today is this. We make these decisions that lead to incredible unhappiness, and my question for you is, is there writing on your wall? Is there writing on the wall of your life that's telling you something's coming, but you're not aware of it? See, it breaks my heart as a pastor to watch people make decisions over and over. It breaks my heart when I do it. It breaks my heart to watch my kids make decisions over and over and over, or just even watching them make decisions that you're like, this is not going to go well for you. I can see it coming, but for some reason, they can't see it coming. And so I wanted to challenge you with a a pretty thorough, challenging thought this morning. Is there writing on the wall of my life that's predicting unhappiness that I don't know about yet? And you're like, well, how am I supposed to know if I don't know? We're gonna find that out. So this morning, uh, I wanna take a look at what Jesus said. So just to set the scene, you can turn your Bibles to the book of John. Just remember this story as we go through. In the book of John, Jesus is uh, in Jerusalem, and just so you know, Jesus did not live in Jerusalem. He would travel to Jerusalem every once in a while, probably for the festivals that happened there. That's when most of the Jewish people would go to Jerusalem. And there was a festival happening called the Dedication of the Temple Festival, and you would know it as Hanukkah, if if you've ever heard of it. It was celebrated back then. And they would go to this place, because the temple, for about 200 years, Two hundred years earlier, it had been completely um, overthrown and destroyed, and they had they had realized that uh, at that point it had been restored, and so they they would get together to celebrate that every single year, and every single year they would go and they'd read from Ezekiel chapter thirty four, which is in the Old Testament. it's says again this, this document, a prophecy, where God said to a guy named Ezekiel, he said, "Listen, I want you to go." And I want you to give a message to the to the, the 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 bad shepherds of Israel, the the leaders of Israel, the spiritual leaders. They're not taking care of the people. They're 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 robbing from them. They're controlling them. They're being terrible leaders. And he says, you know what? I want you to tell them they've got to change, or or else something's gonna something bad's gonna happen. And so they would read this um, over, and they didn't change. And God said, you know what, I'll be the good shepherd instead. If they, if they won't change, then here, you know, that's I, I'm still going to be the same. I'm still going to be a good shepherd. And so what ended up happening, they lose the temple. And that's why this whole, uh, they had lost it and it had to be rededicated. And so when the priests would come, they'd be reading this. All the um, spiritual leaders, religious leaders, they'd be reading these documents and saying, okay, does our life measure up with what he had said to those other bad guys? We don't want to be bad shepherds. And so Jesus knew that everybody who's uh, spiritual leadership, they're all reading this kind of stuff. And, and so he's walking along with uh, disciples. He begins to tell them stories. He's like, you know, everybody's probably thinking about shepherds and sheep right now in town. I'm going to tell you guys like a story about sheep and shepherds. So he begins to tell them this story. And he says, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a thief that would try and, you know, jump over the wall of the sheepfold. And And we don't really talk about sheep and shepherds much, but they did and and there was like they would put their sheep in this little short walled um uh area out in the in the desert and they they put like uh thorns along the top, and they leave one opening where they would guard that opening and he says, but you know there's thieves, they don't come into the opening, they hop over the wall and they they kind of you know they sneak in and and he's and so he's talking about this, and he shares it for a few verses, and then everybody's looking at it just kind of like you're looking at me like that glazed look on their faces like, we don't get it. And so it says the people didn't understand it. So Jesus says, okay, let me let me explain it a little bit differently. And so he says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. So he says the thief's purpose is to steal, is to kill, and is to destroy. And he says that, you know, the thief, that's the, that's the purpose, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So Jesus first describes a thief in their life. And so he says, you know, the thief's the one who kind of sneaks over the wall. He's not the one who comes in through, through the door or through the gate. And his purpose, when he comes, when a thief comes, he's like, he comes to kill the sheep because he wants the meat. He'll come to steal the wool or the milk. Or he'll just come to destroy, you know, their surrounding area and, and break down their protection. And he says, he doesn't come to do anything good. And then he's like, and just so you know, you guys are, he says, I'm not just talking about sheep. I'm talking about your life. There's thieves that come into your life, he was saying back then and today. There's thieves that come into your life to do these three things. They come to kill, they come to steal, they come to destroy. And so Jesus was talking to them about the different types of thieves. And one, he said, it's other people. Other people can come into your life and they, they can try and, you know, steal and rob and, and, and destroy. He said there's religious leaders. There's people that you look up to and you're following, but they don't actually care about you. He's like they're there to get your money. They're there to control. He's like don't follow people like that. He says there's a better way, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute. There's other thieves though. There's thieves like the devil, and some of you are like you think about the devil, and first thing that pops into your head is like a little you know a little guy in a red suit with two little horns. You're like ah yeah the devil, uh, but he's real. He's real, and he's a jerk, and he has absolutely no you know uh, there's no there's no sacred ground for him. He'll do anything. He'll put cancer on children. He'll, he'll put sickness on anyone. He'll just be messing with your mind. He'll lie to you any amount of time as, uh, as possible. You have an enemy called the devil. But a lot of times, you know, he's not the one who's, who's actually, you know, doing the most damage. Sometimes Christians, I hear them say, oh, I must be doing something right because the devil's attacking me. Everything's going wrong in my life. The devil must be, like, really angry at me. Possibly, but not always the case. There's others who can steal from you. There's the devil who can steal from you. But here's my question. If you're like an adult, 16 plus, who has, the, who has the most potential to steal from you, to rob you, and to kill you? It's the same answer for everyone. It's not the government, no. And, and, and it's, it's not the devil either. It's that person. It's the same answer for every one of us. It's that person in the mirror. It's that person that you look at when you look in the mirror. And some of us, maybe today this will be eye-opening for you, but do you realize Do you realize that you could be the greatest thief in your own life sometimes? We don't really like to think about that all the time, but if you think about it, all the decisions that you regret and all the things that brought unhappiness in your life, you were there for those decisions. You know, it was like, it was the things where you bought it and and, and you leased it, or you ate it, or you drank it, or you smoked it, or you dated it, or you slept with it, and then you married it, and we'll just stop there. But that you, you were there for all of that. Uh, and so sometimes we want to blame someone else. And we're like, oh, it's my mom, my dad. You know, it's my spouse. It's my boss. It's the devil. You know, he must be the one attacking me. But maybe, quite possibly, it could be that you were sowing for some things in your life and you're reaping them right now. This unhappiness is something that possibly you could be stealing from your own self. So we don't know much about sheep and shepherds. We don't really, we don't really have a lot of those around here. But, but Jesus... They understood it well, and so he would, Jesus was actually comparing the people and comparing us to the sheep. And you think about that, you're like, sheep are like dumb, they're they're stupid, they wander around aimlessly. It's a little bit offensive for somebody to like compare us, you know, uh, to sheep. You start thinking about it, you're like, I I don't know if I like that that much, but I want to just challenge you with this. You probably shouldn't be offended by that. You know why you shouldn't be offended when he says, you know, sheep are kind of dumb and and stupid or 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 aimless. Here's why: because you bought it, you leased it, you ate it, you smoked it, you drank it, you dated it, etc., etc., etc. For the record, you've all made some bad decisions. We. I know, that's a dad joke. But we, do you ever realize that we don't really have our best interest in mind sometimes? We don't. We think we do, but we don't. It's why we have these things called regret. And there's enough unavoidable pain in our lives, people dying in our lives, things that happen that are out of our control that bring pain into our lives. So there's really no need for us to bring more pain into our lives unintentionally or to create more pain. So here's the question. Why do we make decisions that ultimately rob us of true happiness, something that we want? I'll give you three thoughts. You can jot them down. You can check this out again later. Number one is this. We don't see the writing on the wall. One of the reasons we make these decisions is we don't see the writing on the wall. Belshazzar was still partying even though the writing was on the wall that said, your kingdom's going to end. Unhappiness is coming for you. He didn't understand it. See, because here's why: true happiness. We learned last week. It's not immediately accessible. It's not like you can just say, "Okay, I'm going to do this, and oh, I'm going to be happy." We know that it doesn't work that way. We know that it's you sow for it, and down the road you realize, "Oh, I'm reaping the benefits, and it's happiness." But the second side of that is also true: that unhappiness is also not immediately accessible. It's not like you make a decision and immediately there's pain in your life. Because if there was, there's, you know, there's, we, we probably wouldn't do half the stuff we would do. See, you sow and you reap for both of those things. You sow for happiness and you sow for unhappiness. It'd be like me standing up here and be like, I'm just going to fall. You know, This is going to hurt, but I'm going to do it. If I knew it was going to hurt, I'm just like, I'm not going to do it. It's when, it. Because it's not normal for us to want to hurt ourselves. For those who self-harm. We, we don't say, hey, that's fine, you do whatever you want to do. We try and find help for them because it's not normal for us to, to hurt ourselves. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs chapter 6. He was just a guy incredible wisdom, but he said this thought. He says, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? What's the answer to that? No, because he's actually saying this to you. He says, can a, can a man scoop a flame and put it in his, in his clothes and his clothes not catch on fire? And we know the answer is no. Then he asks this next question. He says, can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? And this is like before they had you know, shoes that could handle this. There's no asbestos shoes. He's saying, can, he, can anybody just walk on hot coals and not blister their feet? And the answer is no, why? Because it's common sense. It's like, we get that. Then he says, here, the same thing is this. So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. So, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen anybody putting coals in their, in their, fi- in their clothes and catching on fire lately. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen anybody walking on fire, you know, in bare, bare feet, and, uh, you know, just to see what happened. We don't see much of that. But how come we see the other one all the time? Why is it? You know why it is? It's because we don't see... The writing that's on the wall. He's, Solomon's saying, you know, when this happens, the writing's on the wall for you. It will not go well for you. We see it all the time. You know, that girl who's gonna break up with her boyfriend because he's, you know, he doesn't treat her very well. And everyone else around sees it, but all of a sudden they break up and he's shocked. And you're like, buddy. The writing was on the wall. We could all see that coming. The boss who's going to fire that girl at your job because, you know, she's irresponsible. And, and then she's shocked and she's like, i gotta, I got to sue or whatever because, you know, this is unlawful or, or inappropriate. And we're like, what? Everybody could tell. The writing was on the wall. You were going to lose your job. The guy who can't figure out why he can't get a job or keep a job, he's lazy, but he can't see it. And the writing's on the wall for his life, but he doesn't see it. That marriage that's in trouble because of the way they talk about or to one another. And the writing's on the wall, but they don't see it. The way that dad belittles his children. You hear him talking down to his kids all the time, and you realize that relationship's headed for brokenness. The writing's on the wall, but they don't see it. The person who eats whatever they, you know, whatever they want, all kinds of unhealthy food, and you watch them, you think, man, you can't, you can't live like that, and they don't care. And it's like the writing's on the wall. The things we watch people do, and they don't see it happening. I want to say this. Unhappiness is not immediate, but it's imminent. When these decisions are made, the writing's on the wall, even if it isn't happening right now, you're like, oh, I didn't feel good. But one of the thoughts is this. One of the reasons we make decisions that ultimately rob us of true happiness is we don't see the writing on the wall. The second is this. We misunderstand the difference between pleasure and happiness. We have this thought, I just want to be happy. And we have this confusion between these two words of happiness and pleasure. Here's the, here's the two words I want to look at this, this morning. The word happiness and the word pleasure. Here's the definitions of them. We have that. Pleasure. Pleasure is a feeling of of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. It's a feeling, just so you know. Pleasure's a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. And happiness is a state of being happy. It has nothing to do with feelings. It's a state of being happy. And so as you as you think about these two things, sometimes we get these two confused. And I just want to say this. God, he's not against either one of them. He's not against your happiness, and he's not against pleasure. But the two in the relationship to, to each other are the the ingredients for true happiness or unhappiness. See, God created us with the ability to to enjoy both happiness and pleasure. You know how we know? God designed you with taste buds. Why would God design us with taste buds? Because he didn't just design us to eat food. There's a chance to enjoy food when you bite into that burger, the pleasure of that, oh, that charbroiled juice and and tomato and condiments. Like, oh, yeah, so good. Enjoying pleasure, right? The idea. The other thing is God designed your eyes to be able to see color, not just shapes. Because why? There's, this, there's pleasure in seeing incredible art or creating it. And, and there's this idea that, that your eyes were designed that way. God designed you for sexual pleasure. There's no picture. You know, God, God invented that. You know, and then like, you think about it, God, like, what were you thinking? You know, maybe he's in heaven, he's got all the angels, he's like, hey guys, come here, I got something I got I to tell you. You know, he's, the animals, we created them, and they procreate, but man, we're just going to up this for the humans. We're just going to make it, I got something real great for them. We're going to plan this, and it'll be awesome. You know, it's going to get them in so much trouble, but they're going to love it. Like, let's, let's, let's invent pleasure around this. I know uh, uh, that sometimes, oh, I got to be careful, I said something last night I can't say today. So... Right, the problem, <laughs> I love when that voice does kick in sometimes. The pl- problem is not that it's either or. The problem is not that it's either happiness or pleasure. That's not what God's talking about. The, the thing that he's saying is that if you, pursue, uh, if you pursue pleasure first, he says it'll undermine your happiness. But if you pursue actual true happiness or the, uh, or the principles or the prioritizing happiness, he says you can experience true pleasure as well. It's this, if you pursue pleasure and ignore the principles of happiness, if you pursue pleasure first and ignore the principles of happiness, eventually, pleasure loses its pleasure and it becomes a prison. Pleasure loses its pleasure and becomes a prison. Why? Because it's the law of diminishing returns. It's like you, you take, ha- oh, I'll have half a drink. And then it's like, no, mm, that wasn't enough. The next time it's like, yeah, I'll have one, a whole one. And then it's, I'll have two. And, and then, uh, you know, that wasn't good enough last. I'll have three. And it doesn't do the same thing for you. So all four, all five, and it'll be like whatever. And then it's like you know what happened last night. You know it gets to that place where it's like it just doesn't until you realize oh. And then it's like that's got to happen every weekend. And then that's got to happen you know a couple times in the weekend. And then all of a sudden it's like that's got to happen every day. And then that's going to happen every morning. And all of a sudden you find yourself stuck in a prison. If pleasure becomes a master, it loses its pleasure. And it's what happens. Pleasure becomes a pathway, becomes a habit, becomes an addiction, and ultimately becomes a prison. And it's not like these pleasures are all immoral or wrong. Some of them are. Some of them, we would say, are considered to be sin. But most of them, a lot of them, are just, just things we, we find pleasure in, but we prioritize that. We think that pleasure is what's going to make us happy. And if we prioritize any pleasure over true happiness, it will become a prison. So, Paul, when he writes the Romans, he writes it this in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He says, don't you realize? You know when he writes that? He's like, listen, everybody should know this. So how come? You know, don't you realize this? I I shouldn't actually have to explain this to you, but don't you realize that you become the the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. He says, don't you know that this is what, what it is? As you read this, you're like, well, I don't even understand that. Don't read this as if it's, you know, scriptural or doctrinal or just that it's the Bible. Read this for a second just as as a thought of common sense. As you read this, he says, don't you realize that whatever you choose to say yes to, just saying, yep, yep, I'll say yes to that. Yeah, I'll say, uh, I'll take one of those. Or, yeah, I'll try one of those. He says, whatever you choose to say yes to, he says, as you continue to say yes to it, you put yourself um, as a slave to that eventually, Because you keep saying yes till there's a point where it's not you saying yes anymore. It's not saying yes, I want that. It's like I need that. And now all of a sudden something changed. You gave up control of your own happiness by saying, hey, I want that. And and now it's like I need to have that. And it can be any number of things. It can be stuff you eat. It can be stuff you drink. It could be people in your life. It could be stuff you see on the internet. It could be anything. And it's like I say yes to it, yes to it, yes to it. And then it ultimately leads to a prison, but it's down the road. You're no longer choosing. You give up control. And he says, and whenever, he says, if for the things, he says, as it leads to that prison, some of it's just a prison, some of it, it's sin. He says, sin leads to death. It breaks down things in your life, breaks down relationships. But he says, there's a good side of this. He says, you can say yes to a good shepherd. You can say yes to somebody who's got your best interests in mind, and it can lead you to great things. He says, when you say yes over and over again to either sin or to pleasure, it'll lead you to death. But if you can say yes to a good shepherd, it'll lead you to the life that you are always looking for. The byproduct of saying yes to the Savior is that the byproduct ends up being happiness. You know how we saw that last week? He said, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for living right. So number one, one of the reasons why we, we uh, uh, make decisions that undermine our hap- own happiness is we don't see the writing on the wall. The second one, is, is this that we're you know, going through this part? And the third is that we don't trust the good shepherd. We don't trust the good shepherd. Thoughts here, final thought is this. As we looked at the list of thieves, it's interesting to note whose name is not on the list. And that name that's not on the list is God. Do you realize that God never comes to kill? He never comes to steal. He never comes to destroy your life. Ever. There's times when people are like, oh, you know, God took my grandma or God did this. He doesn't do that. He never comes to kill, steal, or destroy from you. Some people go through tough things like, Oh, God, why are you doing this to me? He doesn't come to do that to you at all. It's a thief that's stealing from you, and it could be you. But he it says it's never him. Instead, Jesus describes himself like this. John chapter 10, verse 10, 11. He says, The thief's purpose... The thief could be you, could be other things, but they're coming to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose, the reason I came is that you would, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He's saying, I came to give them a life like, you know, a life that's not usually accessible by people. He's like, I'm giving you a life that you can't even experience just on your own because you don't know how to find it, but I can lead you there. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus had been telling them about bad shepherds. And he says, you know, hey, these are the bad shepherds. These are the people that are going to, you know, these, these thieves are going to steal from you. You know, I learned that shepherds, they used to sing to their sheep. Interesting note. You know, they'd sing songs to their, to their sheep, and the sheep would learn how to follow them. The bad shepherds would sing songs like this. An old country star named Michael Peterson sang songs. You know, baby, you're the reason why I drink, swear, steal, and lie. I used to listen to country music. So glad I've been saved now. Uh, you know, it's a... But if if I was the sheep, I would have been singing some Taylor Swift back to those shepherds. You know, I knew you were trouble when you snuck in, right? And and the good shepherds sing songs like this. I would take a grenade for you. I put my hand on a blade for you. I know you don't think Bruno Mars is in church, but so powerful. The song, he says, you know, I'd step in front of a train. I would die for you. He says, the good shepherd, he says, this is what I'm saying to you, that that I am for you. The whole Bible points to this idea that Jesus would die for us. And if anybody lays down their life for you, they're for you. For some of you think, you know, as a follower of God, you think he's always angry. He is for you. He's for you if you know him or if you don't know him. He's desiring that you would... Follow him instead of destroying your own happiness, what you're really searching for. He says, I'm the good shepherd and I can lead you to life and I can lead you through life if you would just follow me. True happiness isn't immediately accessible. But Jesus would say to you, you know what? If you sow better, you'll reap better and you'll feel better. If you sow better, you'll eventually reap better and you'll feel better. If you follow me, you'll have the opportunity to experience true life and true happiness. See, the thing is for us, it's all about this feeling thing. When we feel unhappy, we want to feel happy, and so we go for pleasure. We go for the thing that we think is going to make us happy, and it doesn't. We decide, oh, I don't feel too happy. Let's go shopping. Ching ching I don't feel so happy. Well, that guy's got some stuff that always makes me happy. I'll call him. I don't feel so happy. I wonder what she's doing tonight. I don't feel so happy. I wonder what's in the fridge. It's these things that we make these decisions, but any pleasure that you look to to make you happy in those moments will ultimately become your prison. So I want to finish with this, tell you a story, tell you what Jesus said about some stuff, and now I want to challenge you this morning to do something challenging. So if you're sleeping, I want you to wake up. This is the most important part. I want to challenge you. I know, they're all looking around. It was nobody. Challenge you to do something challenging. I want you to ask yourself some tough questions, not for me, to ask yourself some tough questions simply for you. And you don't have to answer them for me. You just get to answer them for you. My questions for you this morning are these. Is there writing on the wall of your life? Maybe you didn't know it when you came here this morning, but now you're sitting here and like, some of those things you said, oh, I don't like where that's going to lead me. Is there writing on the wall of your life? That's, is there writing on the wall that's leading to unhappiness in your life? You didn't see it coming, but, but you do now. Or maybe for you, the question is this. Is there a pleasure that's slowly taking you prisoner? Is there something that you keep saying yes to, and you didn't realize, but if you continue to say yes to, it's probably going to lead to unhappiness in my life and the, those around me that care about me? Why do we ask you to answer that? Because one day, you're going to wish that you had stopped saying yes. One day, you're going to wish saying, oh, I, don't, I hate that I find myself in the prison. Why didn't I? see it coming, why didn't I stop answering the door, why didn't I stop saying yes? And for you, if you have say, you know what, I don't even know how to answer those questions, I'm not really sure. Here's my other question for you. Do you have people in your life who are close enough to you, who care enough about you, that you could ask them that question? Don't ask anybody this question, don't go to your, like, people at work around the water cooler, and like, hey, is there stuff in my life you think I should change? Because they'll tell you stuff you don't want to hear. <laughs> but I'm talking about the people who know you, care about you, love you, and say, listen, you know what? Hey, I got, is there things in my life that, that you think that I should change? Don't miss it just because a baby cried. I'm like, oh, baby, good, I get out of this question. Is there things, is there people in your life that they may see it coming that you don't? Seeing the blind spots, and this, this is the thought. No matter what your answers were to those questions, this is the final thought. What are you going to do about the answers that you just gave to yourself? Oh, good, I learned something about myself. What are you going to do about the things that you found By God's grace this morning, would you be willing to say, you know what, there is some pleasures in my life that I keep going for that are, I can tell now, they're going to lead me to a prison. Would you, by God's grace, be willing to trade those pleasures in instead and follow him and just trust him that true happiness is is somewhere down the road for you without that? Are there things in your life, are there people in your life that you think, maybe I need to change some of these things? Why? Because the story ends like this, Belshazzar did nothing once Daniel told him what the prophecy meant. And, and this is what was said at the end. Because, Belshazzar, you did not change your mind. Because you did not repent. He says, because you didn't, and that's all that means, repent, is change your mind about what you're doing. He says, this is the end result. He had an opportunity, but he didn't take it. And he died that night. So my question for you is, what are you going to do about the things going on on the inside, about God's voice on the inside? It might require some extreme measures. It might require some things. Maybe for you it's like making some different decisions in your life. Now, maybe it's going to be some making some major changes in your life. You realize, I can't hang around with those people anymore because every time I do, I say yes to that. Maybe every time I'm in that place, you know, I end up saying yes to that. Maybe you've got to get passwords on your computer. Maybe you've got to go and say, you know what, bud, I can't hang out with you anymore. I can't, I, I like you, but I can't handle all the, the drinking or that's going around. Maybe it's at school, you're like, you know what, guys, I, I can't hang out in the smoke pit anymore. I'm sorry, but I, I'm, I'm not. I'm going for something um, in my life. I just, I got to say no, because I can't keep saying yes. Maybe you got to make some major changes. Maybe you got to join a small group. Maybe it's joining a support group. Maybe it's major stuff that you're like, hey, uh, what will people think? Who cares what they think? Because it's your true happiness that that may be robbed from you, and the writing could be on the wall. And maybe today the ultimate thing is this, that you say, you know, the biggest decision I'm going to make today is that I'm truly going to follow Jesus. Maybe that's where it is. You get to that place and say, you know what, I've done. I've I've tried finding it in all these other areas, and it really hasn't happened. It's not saying a prayer and like, okay, Jesus, I invite you to my heart. It's like, Jesus, I want to know how you want me to do life every single day. And I'm going to read your word to find it. I'm going to spend time with people who are going to encourage me in it. And I just want to grow with you. The byproduct of it will be true happiness in your life. I know this is one of those messages like, yeah, amen, that was awesome. It's like one of those ones like, oh, that hurt. Still good. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to say thank you for your word. Thank you that you care enough about us to challenge us sometimes with the way that we do life. God, thank you that you gave us the opportunity and ability to enjoy true happiness, but also life the way it's supposed to be. And Lord, we know we have enemies. We know there's things that try and rob us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that this week we'd recognize your voice as we face these things, that you would just tweak something on the inside of us to realize, no, I don't want that. God, what do you want me to do? I need that in my life every day, and I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you lead and direct our lives as we leave this place, but not that we would only experience this, but that we'd be able to show it to our world around us. Thank you for the awesome stories uh, uh, that were shared earlier, just about you speaking through people's lives, even over the phone. I pray for more of that this week in your name and uh, for your glory. Thank you for this great group of people you put together. Love being with them and pray that uh, as they go from here, they would uh, shine bright for you uh, and experience the benefits of that. In your name I pray. Amen.